Because we feel as though we lack something in our life. We think, I just got to get some stuff moving. I got to do something. And so we start, we're motivated by what we feel we lack. And ultimately, what we find ourselves is dried up, tired, exhausted, because there's the momentum that has been started by lack. And guess what? It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. If you're constantly driven by what you lack, you will never be satisfied. Because lack, it promises, like this perpetual carousel, it promises that satisfaction is around the corner. And what you realize is that you're just spinning in circles. And so you're exhausted, not just bodily and physically or whatever, mentally, you are exhausted in your soul. Because the world doesn't satisfy. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults. Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. John's Gospel, chapter 10, tonight. We're just going to do the first nine verses, um, and we're going to break this up a little bit, just because it's like information overload, and so uh, just want to make sure we do it justice. Since most of these letters are in red, that means it's Jesus is speaking. Um, it's not necessarily something we just want to rush through or rush over. So um, I want to take our time to hear the words of Jesus. So, well, last week we looked at the testimony of a blind man who was healed. Uh, his testimony was short and concise. How many of you like things that are short and concise, right? If you're like, well, it's a long story. You've lost me. I'm not listening to your story. But it, <laughs> short and concise to any um, young Man in the room, short and concise, right? We don't really listen to a lot of words. I don't. I'm lost, right? When there's a lot of words, you've lost me. Short and concise, put it in list form, give me the PDF, I'm good. There's a short, concise testimony of this blind man, and that was, I was once blind, but now I see. When they come to him and say, what do you say of this Jesus? He's a sinner. There's all these different opinions about Jesus. And they ask the blind or the man who was blind, what do you say of him? Who is he? And he says to him, I don't, one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. And only one person has been able to do that since the history of the world, to take someone who is blind from birth and to make them uh, be able to see. And so this man's testimony was to the power of God, the power of Jesus in the person of Jesus in his life. And so, um, and that is our testimony as well. If we can, you know, people want to ask you all these deep theological questions that you don't know. And guess what? It's okay that you don't know. Uh, if you've ever thought like, I don't want to tell anyone about Jesus because what if they ask me questions? I don't know. Um, that's okay. You're not going to know every question to every, or every answer to every question. I don't know every answer to every question. I know I look super smart and wise. That's a joke. But I, you know, I don't know all the answers. Like I work for God and I work at a church and, but I don't know. I don't know all the answers because God is God and I'm not. So, you know, it's really hard for me to know all this stuff. I don't even know my name half the time. So, so don't be, feel this pressure of the fact that you need to know everything because the questions that they ask you are questions that they also have to be able to answer. And so if they're like, well, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And be like, well, this is why. There's sin and suffering in the world. Why do you think that there's pain and suffering in the world? Because the same question they ask you, the atheist or the agnostic, still has to answer the same question. And so, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, what do you think? 
Why do I have to have all the answers? Um, you know, that kind of thing. We got on a tangent. So chapter 10 is a continuation of this discourse that Jesus has with the religious leaders and, and um, in this man that he's speaking to from the pool of Siloam. And it turns, the, the conversation turns to an allegory or allegor, allegorical in nature. Jesus would often take something of culture, cultural significance and use it in a way to show us who God is. Often he would take um, like a picture lesson. How many of you love pictures in the books that you read? I never buy a book without pictures. So I, <laughs> I'm a visual person. If I can see it or I can draw a picture of it, like, okay, and then I can learn. Um, I'm a two-year-old, basically. But, but picture lessons would help. And Jesus would often take something very mundane and normal, something um, in an agrarian culture. He would take wheat. He would take something that they're growing. And he would use that to teach them something about God. And here he is taking this or making this allegory of the shepherd, the door, the sheepfold, the doorkeeper. And there's all these different terms and all represent something significant. And tonight we're going to talk about this one um, claim that Jesus says of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. And this one is, I am the door of the sheep. Now we're going to talk about that one specifically next week. We'll get into the fact that he calls himself the shepherd or the good shepherd. If you weren't here when we went through um, Psalm 23, uh, Jesus as our shepherd and looking through that whole study, um, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. I encourage you to do so. It, is, it changed my life for sure. I don't know about you, changed my life for sure about God as our shepherd. And so going back and listening to that if you want to, but we'll get to that next week. We're going to specifically hone in on this certain idea or what Jesus is saying about himself being the door of the sheep. So verse one, it says, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, in biblical language, in those uh, in those days, um, those that were politically and religiously called to a position of authority were often called in the Bible shepherds or to shepherd God's people. Right? Jeremiah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. I believe in the fifty-sixth chapter, uh, this idea that anyone in leadership was called to shepherd the people of God, and that they were to watch over and to keep and feed and lead these people to the Lord. And so there's this imagery of authority as the shepherd, and, and seen throughout. Scripture And Jesus is making a distinction that not everyone who is among the sheep is legit. In the sense that there are people who have climbed in another way. Now if you would picture a sheepfold, not, it's not something that we see every day or are super excited. Or like, a sheepfold, I knew it. But if you could imagine a rock structure in a semicircle. And there would be a one little doorway that would be the entrance for the sheep to come in and go out. Now, the interesting thing, and I know I'm playing it fast and loose with the word interesting, but there would be times where guys would bring different flocks to this one place, and there would be one sheepfold, and so they would mix their herds together. And when the shepherd would come, he would come in through that gate or that doorway, and he would call his sheep. By name, by his voice. They would hear his voice and his sheep would actually follow him. He wouldn't prod them. He wouldn't uh, beat them. He wouldn't drag them. He would call to them. 
and they would come out like pets, like your dog does. Okay, and that's the imagery here. That's the, the allegory that Jesus is painting, and that's the way that he wants us to see the heart of God through this allegory is that there is a sheepfold, and there, not everyone enters that sheepfold by the door, that there are those who climb in. There's a, there, there are those that sneak in, and there's a legitimate way to enter into this sheepfold, and there are those that have climbed in other ways. And he says, those people... Those that have done that, those sheep in, or wolves in sheep clothing are actually not the heart of the shepherd. And what they do is they seek to rob and they are thieves to the, the sheep or to the flock. They come in as a thief or a robber. And Jesus is making the distinction that not everyone who is among the sheep is a legitimate sheep. Some of them were thieves, some were robbers. But how you could tell was the access point in which they came in. That's how you knew who they were and what they were about. How did they get into this sheepfold? And the point was that there was a proper way in. There's a proper, there's a, a way in which this was to be done correctly. The religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were called to shepherd God's people, to communicate God's word and teach God's word to the people and to be that go-between, between them and God and God and them. They were to, to go in and make sacrifice for the people. They were to teach the people. They were to feed them and lead them as God's under-shepherds to his sheep. And some of them had come in an illegitimate way. And they had gotten there by um, and gained entry by personal connection through formal education, through ambition, manipulation, and some even corruption. This is the some other way in which they entered the sheepfold. And Jesus, again, is speaking to these men who are, are surrounding him, and they're at this, this place, and they're saying, are we blind also? And he says, not only are you blind, but you are illegitimate. You have come over the wall into this sheepfold, into this gated place into a place that's supposed to be safe, a place that is to be free of, of beasts and harm, a place where the sheep can rest and, and there could be a place where, where they can sleep and be protected. You've climbed in. For what purpose? It was to rob and steal from them. You know, James tells us that pure and undefiled religion is this, that we visit orphans and widows in their time of need. You think that's such an interesting verse. It's almost like a quick tweet that James throws in at the end of the book. Like, what, where is this coming from? He just kind of throws it out there. But here's the point that James is making. Orphans and widows can do nothing, often back or give you anything in return. And so that's, he's saying, that is pure and undefiled in that you're ministering and serving people with nothing in expectation of return. And when he speaks to these religious leaders, he says, you've come in to thieve from them and to rob them. You think, what is he robbing from them? They're robbing them of the joy that is to be the people of God through the teaching of God's word and shepherding to, to love God and that God loves them and that their Messiah was coming to teach them all these things, that God loved them, that he cared for them, to follow him under that old covenant, Right? And they would rob the people in not teaching them the full counsel of God. 
And we see the same thing in our culture today where, where there are different ministries and things like that that don't want to tell people the difficult things of the Bible. There are things in the Word of God that are extremely difficult as a teacher to say. Like there are things that I'm <laughs> we'll get to and you're like, that's really, like that's kind of um, uh, exclusive and that's kind of like harsh and that's kind of, but that's the Word of God. And it's not my job or any pastor's job to make an apology for what God says. It's to just say what God says. God's not apologizing for it. And it's in, as a communicator of the word of God, there's something that we need to also come in is, is bringing not only the bad news of sin, but the good news of the gospel that says you can be free of your sin. That you're actually a slave to sin, although you think you're, you're free, you're really not. And so you can rob someone. And listen, we can rob people of the goodness of God in that we don't tell them the things of God. Or we hold back those things. You're not doing anyone any favors. Do you ever know anyone who's like caught in something? And, or, or we'll just make it a little less intense. Someone who has something in their teeth. Right? Have you ever seen someone who has something in your teeth? And all of you right now are checking your teeth. I might have something in my teeth. That's why I usually have a mustache that covers my teeth. But if someone has something in their teeth and you don't tell them that there's something in their teeth and it's green and you're like, how long has that been there? And that's all you can think of, right? And they're walking and they're talking to people or someone whose breath, it's, it's like a soccer game in their mouth. Like it's kicking real bad. And you don't say anything. You just let them go. You're not doing them any favors, right? We're not helping them in any way. Like, I don't want to offend them. Listen, say something. Because it's offending a lot of people. Because that stinks. You know what I mean? You do something. And a lot of times we can feel that same way. We have people that in our life that were like, they're going down a path of destruction. And they're going there in like fourth gear. And we're like, well, I don't want to like make this uncomfortable. I don't want to make this awkward. Someone once said it. I don't remember who said it. But it was brilliant. They said, observation without a conversation, leads to devastation. If you've observed something and you won't talk to someone about it, ultimately it will lead to a devastated life. And it's not that we're sin pointers or sin sniffers and we're like, oh, I've observed something. Let me just point this out in your life. But in a loving and gracious way, God has called us all not to be robbers of the gospel or to fleece the flock of God and, and things like that. There's other ways that people do this and they rob people of their money in church and different things like that, which is just, it's sick and twisted and wrong. And that's not the heart of God. Do you know that God doesn't need any of your money? I don't know if you knew this. God's not up in heaven like, dang it. I'm short of 20. Anyone got a 20? Put it in the plate. Like God's not short, changed. He's never like asking for money. But the, the good news of the gospel is this, that we get to give to the Lord. And it's, a, it's something that we, we get to do. It's a, a privilege that we get to give back to the Lord. But um, God's intention is never to take from you. The only thing that God takes from you is your pain, your suffering, your sin, your hang-ups, your heartbreaks. God takes all that from you. And he gives you, like he says later in this chapter, he gives you life and that more abundantly.
So he says in verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He doesn't have to crawl over the wall because he is the shepherd. He owns the sheep in the sheep pen. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by, the name, by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and all the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, I've always thought that we've wanted to like get into this sheepfold, right? I've always read this verse and read these verses and thought, man, I got to get in through the door. I, I got to get into this sheepfold. When in fact, the shepherd is actually calling them out of this place, which is fascinating. Anyone ever think that? No, just me? Okay. So that's why, never mind. So, so he's calling them out of this place. Not only is he the one who goes into and, and has access to this place and is the door of this place, but he's the one who calls them out of this place. And when you think of this sheepfold, I want you to understand something. This is this form of Judaism that God has placed his people in. That, that it's a semicircle of the law and Moses. But what completes the law of Moses is the gate, the door, which is Jesus the Messiah who would touch both sides, right? When someone would lay across this opening, the shepherd would lay across the opening and have one foot on one side and his back against the other, touching both sides. Jesus completes this sheepfold in that he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. He brings home all that the law could not accomplish in us in that it is perfect. It points out sin. It causes us to run to God and say, help me. I can't do this, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. But he opens this gate, this door, and he says, I'm calling you out of the old covenant into something new. And, and, and those that are in that field, those that are in that pen, he says he knows them by name and he calls to them. In that Jesus is a perfect gentleman and he will never force you to follow him. He does not force us into his heaven. He does not force us into his family. But he calls to you and he calls to me and he says, come, follow me. Let me be your shepherd. Now there are those in that pen who know him because they know his voice and they follow him. Now there are some in the pen, obviously, who don't know him. And there, remember, we, we had all different kinds of, of different shepherds, different sheep in this place. And when that shepherd would show up and call, those sheep knew him and they followed him out. Jesus calls into the world. He calls to humanity and he says, come and follow me. And those that hear him and those that respond to the call, they belong to him. They're his. Now, some would just like have a field day with this whole like, are you chosen and predestined? Do we have a choice? No, like he knows us and he calls us. Listen, every sheep in that pen has been called by name, but those who are truly his follow him because they respond to his voice. Tonight you're like, well, who am I? Am I a Do I, am I one of those named by God? Well, here's the, here's the test. The Bible says, if you call in the name of Jesus, you shall be saved. So if you want to be one of his sheep, respond to the call. If you don't want to, then don't. And maybe you're not one of his sheep. 
The point is, is the responsibility is not laid upon God himself. The responsibility in the call of love is laid upon us. Where he calls to us and says, come, follow me. Let me lead you. Let me be your shepherd. I have provided a way. And here's the thing. He is the door in that he is the access point to God. The Bible tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is very exclusive in that point that there is no other way to God except through him. He is the gate. He is the door. There is no way out except through him. And he says, he offers you access unto God. He's the access point. And by him, and in the fact that he's the gate, the hinge in which our salvation swings upon is the very fact that Jesus died and rose from the grave. The resurrection is the hinge in which our salvation swings. If he did not rise again from the grave, then our sins are not forgiven and eternal life is not ours. But the very fact that he did proves that salvation is in him alone. And so he says to us, I am the door of the sheep. But I love the fact in verse 4, he says, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. When Jesus is using this allegory of a shepherd. It's something that I believe it goes back to what David wrote in Psalm 23, himself being a shepherd. And himself being a shepherd, he wrote this psalm looking at his own flock, his own care and his own love for his own sheep and the way that he protected them from bear, the way that he protected them from lion. I mean, the guy would lay down his very life for his flock. David pens Psalm 23 and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I will lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Do you notice that he doesn't say he pushes me to green pastures. He drives me to still waters. He makes me lay down in the sense that he has a rope around my neck and he pulls me to the ground and says, lay down. And force feeds you grass. He's like shoveling it in. Like, you will eat this, sheep. The picture in Psalm 23 is this gentle leadership in which the Lord calls us and says, by his very voice. And, and listen, the only way for us to con continually hear the voice of God is to be close to him. Because God doesn't speak in this booming, loud voice, although he can and sometimes will. He whispers in a still, small voice through his indwelt Holy Spirit in us. And so by his spirit, we are led. He calls to us. He doesn't drive us. How many of you have ever been driven and there's something kind of forcing you to like move? Has that ever happened to you? Where you're like being forced to move and you're being forced to like, and there's so much like pressure of like keeping up, right? It's kind of like the, and I don't want to go back to what we recently went through, but it's like the cattle dog of, of, of sheep herding. In order for, for the sheep to move, the dog will come and begin to nip at the, the feet of the sheep, and it starts this momentum in them. 
And the momentum is to get things moving, right? Let's get things moving. Have you ever felt that way in your own life? Like, I gotta get things moving. Like, I'm just gonna do some stuff. Like, oh, and you start making bad decisions. Like, I'm just gonna do some stuff because I gotta get moving. I'm 20, fill in the blank, and you're like, I, my life is slipping, slipping past me, and I, I need to do some stuff. Like, we need to, I need to find a friend, or I need to find Tinder, what's up? Yeah, let's, let's hang out, or let's make some bad choices. But hey, at least I'm doing something. You know what that is? That is the cattle dog of lack. Because we feel as though we lack something in our life. We think, I just got to get some stuff moving. I got to do something. And so we start, we're motivated by what we feel we lack. And ultimately, what we find ourselves is dried up, tired, exhausted, because there's a momentum that has been started by lack, and guess what? It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. If you're constantly driven by what you lack, you will never be satisfied because lack, it promises, like this perpetual carousel, it promises that satisfaction is around the corner, and what you realize is that you're just spinning in circles. And so you're exhausted, not just bodily and physically or whatever, mentally, you are exhausted in your soul because the world doesn't satisfy. You're like, if I could just get this, if I could just get that, now I just got to get to this point. Well, you've gotten to that point, and guess what? You're still miserable. So you're thinking, well, if I can just get to this point, and this point, and that point. You're like, well, I'm just setting goals for myself. But your goals like, have nothing to do with God in them. And so ultimately, they leave us unsatisfied. That's what lack is. Do you notice that Jesus says in his word that he leads us out? He calls to us by his voice, and he leads us gently. Don't be distracted by the screen. Focus in. If you feel as though you're being driven, that's not the Lord. God doesn't drive you to this point of exhaustion. He gently leads us, and he leads us to green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. And in that place, he restores our soul. Lack does not restore your soul. It leaves it cracked and dry. And so in this, this picture of him being the shepherd, and I skipped the whole door thing, but he is the door, meaning he is the access point unto God. He's provided the way. Where the law couldn't do it, where the prophet spoke of the Messiah to come, he says, I am that access point. And you know that I'm the access point because I'm not dead, I'm alive. He, he says, this is the hinge. Now, now you can come. And he calls to them to come out. And he says, I have a, where does he say it? I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. In verse uh, 14, uh, where is it? Oh, oh, verse 16, here it is. It's the one I didn't highlight. Here's what it says. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. The access point out of Judaism into this new covenant with God, this new promise of God, that salvation would not be based on an animal sacrifice, but salvation would be upon a living sacrifice of Jesus himself. That salvation would come by faith, meaning that there is a whole nother fold, there's a whole nother sheep 
fold that we're going to bring in. There's, there's others. Who is that? It's the Gentiles. Anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile. So you know, if you're not Jewish in this room, you know, high five, homeschool high five. We're Gentiles. That's us. Do you know that this is speaking about you and I? That there is a, a whole other, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. That he's bringing in this other sheepfold and bringing these out. And he's saying, under one shepherd, we are one flock and one God. With, I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. And Jesus is communicating to us this, this new thing that he was doing in this new covenant of the Lord. But I love that picture of this semicircle and Jesus laying in between it. And he's saying he connects the two. He's the fulfillment of the law. He is the, he is the fulfillment of the prophets. Jesus having a hand on each side a hand, and, and touching each side. The completion of it all. And he says, now I've opened the door for you to come. And to experience the new covenant of God. He's the door. He is the access point to God. There is no other way to heaven except through him. And we think, man, that's narrow. That's super narrow. Listen, it's his heaven. He can do whatever he wants, right? That'd be like you coming to my house. I'm like, I want you to come to my house. Come over sometime. And you come in through a window. I'm like, what are you doing? There's a door. And you're like, well, I don't like doors. Not into it. This new thing. Really like windows. No, no, no. You're going to come through the door. And you're like, that's narrow. No, it's actually <laughs> a lot easier. But no, no, I want you to come through the door. Why? It's my house. Therefore, you're going to come in through my door. I'm going to sneak in through some window. That's weird. Don't even think about it. I see you two talking, like, let's do, <laughs> don't even. So, it's his heaven. And we think like, man, the road to heaven is so narrow and God's way is so narrow. Yeah, but what's great about something that's narrow is all of your, the junk of your life can't fit on that road. Isn't that wonderful? You can't take all of that junk with you. It doesn't fit. Therefore, I've, God's made it narrow so that you can be free of burden. His way is narrow, the path is straight, the path is hard, but it is totally worth it. He's the access point to God. There's no one else. Buddha and Muhammad and all those guys, listen, they're dead. They're dead. There is only one who lives, and that is Jesus. The only one who claimed to be God and proved it by his resurrection is Jesus. He's the access point. All roads lead to God, but only one road gets you in the gate, my dad used to say. Because all people will stand before God someday and give an account for their life. But only one road, one gate is going to get you in. Jesus says, I am the door. And so um, we're going to stop there. And next week we're going to look at the shepherd. And we kind of already did, but we're going to do it again. But... Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have made access for us to, um, into your heaven, into relationship with you. God, that you are our, our good shepherd. You are the door. And, and Lord, you have made a way. We thank you, God, that you, your desire for us and your heart for us 
is that we would be led by you. Jesus, that you would provide for us. Lord, that you ultimately would be our protection. Lord, that you would be the one who would um, lead us out. God, we want to be those that follow closely to you. And so, Lord, we pray if there's anyone here tonight that's never um, accepted you, no one's ever, uh, they, they've never heard the gospel. Lord, we pray that tonight as they've, they've heard that you lived, you died for their sin, and that they can be saved by simply putting their faith and trust in you.